Back in uh, July, we were visiting our parents and siblings in New York State, and for a couple of nights, uh, all eight members of my family were staying with Amy's parents, and uh, the temperature was in the uh, 90s, which you think I'd be used to. The houses there aren't air-conditioned as a rule, and, and that's true, and all the bedrooms are on the second floor. So it was a memorable couple of nights that we spent there. There weren't enough beds for everyone. We knew that going in, and uh, my oldest daughter and her husband brought uh, uh, air mattresses, uh, and, um, and we slept on air mattresses before lots of times, and they're, and they're great as long as the air stays in them, which uh, in the case of our uh, daughter and her husband, it did not. Uh, so after a night or two, there, you know, you're waking up uh, on a, a piece of plastic on the floor, uh, not quite as comfortable uh, plenty of air still in the house, uh, hot as it was, uh, but not in the mattress anymore. Um, you need that air to be encapsulated in the mattress. Uh, air that's, that's captured, it's structured into a bed by the fabric of the mattress. Uh, otherwise, it's pretty uncomfortable. And, and that's what the good news of Jesus does for all of life. Because as Colossians 1 tells us, it is in Jesus that all things are held together. He's the one who holds everything together. And so apart from Jesus, life is just air. It's just a vapor, a a mist. There's no order, there's no cohesion, there's no comfort without the gospel of Jesus, the good news of Jesus. For in Him and through Him we have it all, uh, Scripture says. And we gather today to remember exactly that. Uh, one of the great purposes of communion, the Lord's table, is to be reminded that Jesus is the one that holds everything together. And anyone who trusts in Him, the Bible says, will never be put to shame. And uh, that's what's critical for us to understand. So as we prepare to remember Jesus uh, with the bread and the cup, I want to take you to uh, some familiar words, familiar to many of us, from 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Uh, there, the Apostle Paul is writing to Christians in the, in the city of Corinth, and uh, one of the things that he's concerned about in writing to he, these uh, brothers and sisters in Christ is that uh, how they were celebrating this significant meal uh, wasn't happening quite right. Some were not taking this meal seriously enough. Uh, They weren't recognizing the incredible meaning of the bread and the cup. Uh, Some of them were acting selfishly as they worshiped together. Uh, Some of them were not prepared and uh, they came to observe communion with unconfessed sin in their lives. And so Paul writes to remind them to, to remember what this is all about. Uh, And he takes them to the basic truth of the gospel message. And that's what I want to remind you of this morning. Because some of you undoubtedly uh, come with those same kinds of issues that the Corinthian Christians did. Uh, Not fully understanding or appreciating or prepared for the Lord's table. And it's critical that we do so. Uh, As I have said multiple times this year, communion, celebrating the Lord's table, is vital to a healthy spirit. Life. So let's uh, remember Jesus as we look at uh, Paul's word to the Corinthians and to us. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 23, he says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. So 
The Apostle Paul didn't bring anything new to Corinth. He was only giving out what had been given to him by the Lord. And here he uses some technical terminology. He uses the word paralambo, uh, paralambano and uh, paradidomai to describe what he received and what he passed on. So what he received was what... Jesus gave to his disciples on that night that he was betrayed. The, tr- the wording, the tradition, uh, this observance. And this was passed on to Paul, who then passed it on to the church. And it continues to this day. Jesus created the observance of communion on the night that he was betrayed. Before he was arrested and beaten and executed, Jesus knew all of that was going to happen because that was the plan of God before the world was even formed. And that's just another proof that Jesus is who he said he was, the Son of God. Uh, Because knowing all this, in this final gathering with his followers, he took the simple elements of bread and cup and introduced a memorial, a way to remember what all of it's about. And, and, And we need this more than ever. Now throughout church history, um, there have been debates about how Christ is present in the bread and the cup. And I like what uh, theologian Gordon McCoskey says. He says, in this distracted digital age, the question we need to wrestle with is not in what way the Lord is present in the supper. Instead, the question is in what way are we present here? And I like that because he's saying we need to recognize the significance of this meal. We need to be here understanding and participating in this. And so uh, as we look through what Paul says next, I want to bring to your uh, mind three truths that we need to hold on to. Three truths about this that we need to grab onto. Very simple, very basic. The first truth is remember the body broken for you. The body broken for you. Because he says, verse 24, Jesus took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Now when Jesus says of the bread, this is my body, he doesn't mean it becomes his flesh at every communion service. He means it represents him. Uh, A few years ago, the movie Lincoln came out, and uh, Daniel Day-Lewis portrayed our 16th president. And I remember watching that movie, and I, I know a lot about Lincoln. I, uh, other than books about Jesus, I probably have more books about Lincoln than anybody else. And, and I was fascinated by Lewis's portrayal, for which he won an Academy Award. For two hours, I thought, this guy is Lincoln. That's what I was thinking. I was absorbed in his performance as he represented our 16th president so well. Now, I could hand you a portrait a picture of my family. What I did in Nepal when I was sharing the gospel, one of the first things I did as part of my gospel presentation is to show them a picture of my, my family, my two daughters, my son-in-law, my three grandchildren, and begin to talk uh, and share Jesus with that starting point. No one has said at any time, oh, your family is really one-dimensional. Because they knew that's not my family. Uh, that represents my family. It pictures my family. And uh, that's how we understand Jesus' words about the bread being His body. It doesn't turn into His body. It represents it. With this physical piece of bread, we remember Him. Um, the phrase that's precious to me in this verse is when Jesus says, which is for you. Jesus gave Himself. He sacrificed Himself for you and me. Who does that? Uh, Somebody you care about may give you something, 
but how many give you themselves? That's sacred. It's powerful to hold a symbol of somebody's sacrifice to you. Uh, it's, it's like you're, you would be on death row and Jesus comes into your cell and He takes your name and your number and your sentence and He goes to the death chamber in your place while you go free. That's what that bread represents. We remember He gave Himself for you. He became man, human in every way, just like we are, yet without sin. And we touch and we taste the bread and we remember that He became one of us. The second truth to remember is to remember His blood covenant for you. Not only that his body was broken for you, but his blood covenant for you. Uh, verse 25, in the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Now, did you ever wonder why Jesus refers to it as the cup and not by what's in the cup? That's not how we do it. Uh, the server doesn't come around to the restaurant and say, you want more cup? Uh, no, they say, the server says, do you want more water or do you want more coffee? We describe drinks by what the actual drink is. Uh, now, uh, Jesus doesn't mention the type of bread either, but in the context of this meal, uh, it, it is very clear what these elements are. Uh, the bread is a, is a matzah that's, that's flat uh, and uh, unleavened. The cup was wine. In the Gospels, Jesus does refer to it as the fruit of the vine. Uh, now, whether that is fermented uh, wine or grape juice doesn't matter. Clearly, this is about what the cup represents, his blood. And because of the seriousness of what this represents, we should be very careful about silly substitutes. Uh, I, I've heard of pizza and Pepsi being used to celebrate communion. and I, Unless that's all that's available, uh, I, I think that that uh, can trivialize a sacred act at a wedding uh, instead of exchanging rings, you could exchange Tootsie Rolls. But, but, but that would subtract from the, the symbolic meaning of something that's permanent and has value, which Tootsie Rolls do not. Uh, so we must use quality elements in the celebration of the Lord's table. My previous church, is, uh, we served communion to thousands of people. And as the church grew, uh, I recognized that there was a change, that somebody had, had started to, to use grape-flavored juice uh, in order to cut expenses. And I'm all for cutting expenses. Uh, but, but I insisted, no, this is not where we cut corners. I insisted that we use 100% grape juice. It does cost more than Kool-Aid, I grant you. But, but the Lord's table is not the place to, to save money. Because with the cup, we remember that Jesus poured out His blood. By grace, through faith in His sacrifice, we live because He died. With the cup, we remember the shedding of His blood that brought us into a new covenant, a new relationship with God. That through the suffering and death of Christ, we have peace with God. The wrath that our sin deserved, the wrath, the punishment that my sin deserved, uh, was taken out on Jesus instead. He paid the penalty. He took our punishment. And His blood washes us clean from the death penalty of sin. The table reminds us that Christianity is not some mystical religion that's disconnected from reality. Uh, these elements that we touch and that we taste remind us that Christianity is rooted in history. 
As one writer said, uh, Jesus lived. He had a body. He had a heart that pumped blood and skin that bled. He was publicly executed, dying in the place of sinners so that anyone who believes in Him will be rescued from sin's penalty and eternal separation from God. And that happened once in history and for all time. And so the, the Lord's Supper is foundationally about remembering. Not imagining, not dreaming, uh, but time after time, the Lord's Supper roots us in the nitty-gritty of history. Bread and cup, body and blood, execution and death. And so with this cup, we remember His blood covenant for you. The third truth to remember is that you are preaching Jesus. Remember that you're preaching Jesus. Paul says, verse 26, For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. That word pro- proclaim, the Greek word is kataangelo, and it's used 17 times in the New Testament, and almost every time it's translated preaching. Uh, that's the most uh, used definition of it to preach and so I use it particularly here intentionally here because by taking the bread and drinking the cup and remembering they represent the body and blood of the Lord we preach as we eat and drink remembering that by Christ's sacrifice we have forgiveness we have a new covenant uh, between us and God we preach Um, with these elements we deliver a sermon every single time we consume them with understanding when we do this understanding recognizing what's about when we eat and drink we're preaching we're declaring what god has done for us so with this simple meal we proclaim the gospel the good news and since we are to do this until he returns this reminds us that we're not merely celebrating the death of somebody, but, but we are celebrating the resurrection of our Savior. That the Lord is alive. And when He comes back, we remember Him in this tangible way. Until He returns, we are eating and drinking, remembering Him. And so I tell myself every time uh, I eat and drink, and we tell each other every time we eat and drink that Jesus is all I need. I feed on Him. He satisfies my deepest needs and longings. He is my hope, my victory, my all. And we preach that every time we do this in remembrance of Him. Chris Say uh, tells about a young man who came to him after church And he said, Pastor, uh, every Sunday I used to be in this neighborhood at a bar called Emo's, and I'd start every night with a drop of ecstasy on my tongue and and wash it down with Bacardi 151. He said, every Sunday I did that, Sunday after Sunday. But, But now I've met Jesus, and now I come to this worship service on Sunday night instead, and I finish the evening with the body of Christ on my tongue, and I wash it down with the blood of Christ. This, he said, Pastor, is the kingdom of God. And that young man went from partying to preaching whenever he ate the bread and drank the cup of the Lord. Now, I must not leave out the fact that this table only has significance for those who believe. The bread and the cup don't do anything to save you. They are to remind you of what's already happened. Justin Martyr was a Christian leader in the second century, and just a few decades after the resurrection, uh, he was speaking about the Lord's table, and, and Justin Martyr wrote this, He said, no one is allowed to partake but one who believes that the things which we teach are true and who is so living as Christ has enjoined. So this meal is for those who believe. It's not for those who 
seem to be perfect or only for those who have their life together and are mature in faith. It's for all who believe and are seeking to follow Jesus in their lives, uh, who recognize the sacred significance of this meal, who, who want to live in obedience to Jesus and recognizing when we fail and fall to come to him and confess and receive his forgiveness for our sin. And for all of us who believe, whether we're new in faith or we're grizzled veterans, whether rich or poor, content or struggling, joyful or grieving, weak or strong, with this bread and this cup, we preach Jesus. And we don't do that in a corner in secret. Uh, We don't do this as individuals. We gather to, to do this together, take these elements together in public to declare and to remember what Christ has done. And the first time I read the Lord of the Rings trilogy by J.R. Tolkien, I was a freshman in college, and I've read them a couple of times since then. Uh, but in one scene, Pippin, who is a hobbit, uh, is confronted by the witch king who has come to destroy the city. And just when everything seems to be lost, Pippin hears the blowing of a horn. And what that blowing of the horn is, it's the riders of Rohan, and they're coming to the rescue. And Tolkien writes this, uh, Pippin rose to his feet as if a great weight had been lifted from him. And he stood listening to the horns, and it seemed to him that they would break his heart with joy. And never in after years could he hear a horn blown in the distance without tears starting in his eyes. That's what this table should do for every one of us who knows Jesus. It is the sound of our salvation. Uh, We hear and we touch and we taste and we remember the one who rescued us by his death and burial and resurrection and has given us life abundant now and eternal forever. One scholar says that the bread and cup are vehicles through which we can taste the fact that there's a new world, that there's new hope, there's a new way to live, and we're part of it. He said our brokenness, our tiredness, our crassness, and the long hours we've wasted doing our own thing instead of God's thing somehow fall away, and we celebrate the fact that Christ is risen and that we are risen with Him. Now it's our practice now to celebrate communion the first and the third Sunday of each month. And we do that because we need to hear the distant sound of our salvation. We need to remember. Because without the continual reminder of the flesh and blood, the the grim reality and the awesome cost of our salvation, we'll lose focus. Uh, You'll get distracted away from your faith. The air will come out of it unless you're reminded of what Christ has done. We'll become careless in our faith. We'll, We'll be arrogant in our religion. We'll be distant from our spiritual life. You see, we need this meal, so we remember that we have overcome by the blood of the Lamb. The only victory over sin, death, and hell is the blood of Jesus. It's only by the sacrifice of Christ that we're washed clean and made children of God. And so we must be reminded of the cross where the victory was won. Uh, What do we overcome? D.A. Carson says, we overcome the accuser of our brothers and sisters We overcome our consciences. We overcome our bad tempers. We overcome our defeats. We overcome our lusts. We overcome our fears. We overcome our pettiness on the basis of the blood of the Lamb. That's how we overcome. Not by our efforts or goodness, but by the blood of the Lamb. And so if I was ever able to choose any last words to you, my brothers and sisters, it would be these that with this bread and cup, 
we remember that we have overcome by the blood of the Lamb. If you know this, sing it with me. Oh, victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. He sought me and bought me with His redeeming blood. He loved me ere I knew Him, and all my love is due Him. He plunged me to victory beneath the cleansing flood. I invite you to join me now around the table of the Lord.